Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and ask us. The more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer Incorporated, a not-for-profit charity set up in 2012 by myself. Dr. Joan Newell. If you want to know any more information about PROST, including our online service now available, please just go to prost.com.au. PROST means cheers to your health. So, PROST. That's where I want to call my home. So, stop for a second and listen. It's not silent at all. Today on the Penis Project podcast, we are interviewing Sharon Stephen, who is an amazing nurse practitioner and neurology nurse with years of experience, and she works at Restorative Sexual Health, which is very exciting for me, and she also works at King Edward Memorial Hospital and has many years' experience working in neurology. So Joe and I are going to talk to her today about her role and what she does and how she came to spend her life dealing with penises and vaginas. Hey, Stephen. Hey, how are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. So, so go do you for want it. Me tell, just... us, tell us yeah. your career history in a nutshell. Oh, pardon the pun. How did you get there? Um, went into nursing late, started uni at 30. Um, didn't intend to be a nurse at all. Wanted to do midwifery. Um, did urology as a student, loved it, and I've been there ever since. Ever since. So, so what did you do before you were a nurse? I've never asked you this question before. Um, office work. So I started work at 16 for um, a big oil company. Wow. I always imagined you'd just always been a nurse, not just for 20 years. No, 2002 I qualified. Wow. Okay. Did you know that, Joe? No, I'm I'm thinking how wonderful that is actually that you've had two careers and maybe three and four <laughs> evolving. Um, between the kids I had I did shop work and stuff. But yeah. Right. Mainly office work. So it's a long way to go from being a wanting to be a midwife to looking after urology <laughs> patients. So how did that happen? Um so I did a, a placement in urology day surgery as a student. Then I did a placement on the urology ward as a student. And then in the UK for their sort of grad program, it's a two-year grad program. So first year was oncology. Mm-hmm. Um, liked it, but got too emotionally involved. Burnt out very quickly. Um, went to urology and just really enjoyed it really enjoyed it um and then when I came to Perth 
worked in the urology ward at St John's and uh, the continence nurse there was leaving and said, hey, do you fancy kind of stepping in? And yeah, it just kind of went from there. So what, from a job that was mainly continence, I kind of took all the urology into it as well. So yeah, it's just been that ever since. And, and I'm really curious, Sharon, what did you like about it, even as a student working in urology? What, what was it that, that sort of floated your boat? <laughs> um, I think I'm a very much kind of fix them up kind of uh, nurse. Um, so really like the surgical side. Um, and then as it just developed, got really interested in men's health. Um, and then sort of realised that it's very underrepresented um you know we all know that men don't really ask for help unless they're you know at the sort of end of the line type thing um and just felt that I could make an amazing difference and, and, you, and do, you have and you have and I've worked alongside you 15 years <laughs> so what's what sort of typical cases do you do you see on the urology ward so in the UK, there was urology trauma as well as um, urological cancers. Um, so, uh, you know, things from fractured penises to, um, you know, big bladder cancers and prostate cancers. So from opposite ends of the scale. Do you ever have any kind of funny things where people stuck weird and wonderful things in their penises when we're talking about trauma? Have you got a funny oh, story? Yeah. I've got a few. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys are probably a little bit young to remember, but you used to get um, curtain hooks that attached to your curtains and then went through a yeah. ring that was on the curtain rail. Ow. So the, the yeah, little yeah. metal, yeah, the, the metal um, curtain hook, he don't know, I don't know why, but it went up there. Up there. So, And yeah. how did they retrieve it? Oh, you had, you, they had to take him to theatre and do a cystoscopy and, and grab it out. So, the poor but yeah, guy. that was that was my well, that was my first kind of encounter with oh my god, men stick things up there. It was probably very innocent, and he was probably putting up the curtains naked, fell off the ladder, and the curtain hook just went woo up the urethra. I'm sure that's what. Yeah, the story. Of went course, of course. But then you know, you go the other end of the scale. We had a a lovely gentleman who had body dysmorphia. Um, and unfortunately, because his mental health um, wasn't great and he had um, Parkinson's, he wasn't even considered for gender reassignment. Mm. Um, so he, he was a regular frequent flyer. Um, we unscrewed a corkscrew from his penis um, I once spent three hours of a night shift um, cutting basically silicon glue off of his, his groin area um, and lower abdomen. Um, and it was just really sad. It was just really, really sad. So was, so, was I wonder what happened to him. Was that all because he just didn't want his penis and he was trying to destroy it? Was that yeah. the, yeah. oh, that's so sad, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, apparently before I ever, ever met him, he had once tied a pair of women's stockings around his genitals and hung them, hung himself from a, a road sign oh. by his genitals. Yeah. 
That is tragic. Mm. So there is a perfect reason, isn't there, for people who just feel like they're in the wrong body to allow them to change when they need to. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's a, I mean, his mental health was bad because of his condition. Um, and yes, okay, he had Parkinson's, but he was well medicated. And I didn't think that that should be a reason why he couldn't, you know, go down the, the path that he chose. Mm. So sad. So nowadays you, so you studied, you were a registered nurse and you worked on the urology ward at St. John's for how many years? 15. Wow. Oh, 15 at St. John's altogether. Wow. But um, I started in 2006 and then 2010, I became the permanent continent urology nurse. Right. Okay. So, yeah. You went so for, for a man who's, yeah, so for a man who's recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer, for example, I normally uh, see them in the clinic. So they get referred from the urologist usually hopefully four to six weeks before their surgery. And then usually I spend a bit of time working on bladder training and pelvic floor training. And then you normally see them in the week before the surgery. So what what does that uh, entail you having to do with them? What, what What's that pre-clinic admission uh, session all about? Okay, so um, obviously I don't do that now. I'm at Kingetti, but at St. John's, I'd see them the week before their surgery um, and I would base, basically take them from woe to go, really just... Um, you know, going through what they can expect when they come into hospital, how long they'll be there, some side effects that they could, um, you know, suffer from post-operative, prepare them for the fact that, you know, yes, it was major surgery, minimally invasive, but still major surgery, but also to be aware that, you know, we wanted them up and moving and, you know, um, we wanted them passing wind and, and things like that so kind of just that looking after the catheter and then really just really as much as information as they wanted really um what happens after the catheter comes out you know what happens with the continents um a little bit of the same as what you did about where to go for pads and things like that so um and just really i always said to them there was no kind of structured um sort of program um, with it being a private hospital but they were all given my mobile number and all told that you know I was there for them to to even just vent to for as long as they needed someone Hmm. and we've had plenty of those haven't we for (laughs) over the years yeah so yeah down the track you decided that you wanted to go and become a nurse practitioner what was the impetus for doing further study um, I think it was my, apart from my thirst for knowledge, it was, I really felt that I needed to be at, at top of my game to make sure that the information and, and the care that I gave my patients was gold standard. Um, and, you know, although I'd had plenty of feedback, et cetera, that, you know, the, the, the patients and the, and the doctors themselves were happy with what I was doing. I just kind of felt that I needed the bit of paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of grew from there. I started off doing, um, well, I did the continence course. Then I did a short course in prostate cancer. 
um, nursing. And then that led to postgrad diploma of urology incontinence. And then, yeah, it would just seem the next logical step to do nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. And you finished in November last year. And yeah. You had some amazing mentors along the way. Joe and I were some of them, and there were lots of other amazing yeah. ones as well. Just just yeah. putting a little thing in for us there. Of Jimmy. course, of course. <laughs> and then you <laughs> like to self-promote. Yeah, of course. We have to if no one else will. So exactly. Then you finished, and how has that changed the way you practice? Do you feel like you're more empowered? And does it has it changed what you are able to do for the patients you look after? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm more confident in, in what I'm telling patients. Um, I feel that, you know, I can not only give them the benefit of my knowledge and skills, but that, you know, I can give them access to um, things that they maybe, you know, need to wait to see a doctor for, Yeah. Um, you know, prescriptions for medications um, troubleshooting things like that things that you know without a nurse practitioner they would go they would go to the doctor and have to wait um etc so it was really all about making the care more accessible to our patients mm. and also all in one place isn't it now you know instead of oh yeah in the past yeah. you would have had if a patient needed a medication say for instance betmega or something for their urine mm you would have to say, this is what I recommend, and then send them back to the GP, whereas now between you and Joe, you can deal with those kind of things really well together, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. So, you know, um, although I've gone um, and moved to King Edward, men's health is definitely still a passion for me. Um, But I also think that the fact that I'm now dealing with women's urology gives me a real kind of, global rounded experience Mm. so and you know um and my work at restorative sexual health is not just sexual health you know um i've you know brought some different skills to the mix um and do some just general urology there as well yeah well i mean and we'll get you to talk a bit more about that because you know your skill set is very different to mine like my skill set is definitely around intimacy and sex and you're great with the erectile dysfunction as well, but you have this whole other amazing skill set to do with bladder and continence that I really don't know much about at all. In fact, you and Joe have taught me everything I know about that. So tell us about that. What do you do in that area? So um, quite frequently, actually, um, I see patients for whatever reason um, have sort of bladder dysfunction or bladder failure more likely. Um, and they need to be taught how to self-catheterize, you know, anything between two and six times a day. Um, and that basically just involves um, them inserting a, a, a catheter into their bladder, emptying the urine out of their bladder, and then removing the catheter again. Um, so I do a fair bit of that. Um, men tend to be a little bit more frightened of it to start with because they're like, oh, hold on a minute. The only stuff comes out of there, not meant to go in. Um, mm, but unless you're a curtain hook, done, yeah, unless you're a curtain hook or a corkscrew or <laughs> silicon glue, um, that's Stick, another story. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, once they've done it the first time, um, they're actually quite blown away at how easy it is. Um, I mean, that's not to take away from the fact that it is very intrusive and it's not a nice thing to have to do six times a day. 
but it means that then they can have as much of a normal life without having to have a catheter strapped to their leg all the time. So I do that. I do continence advice for male and female. Mm -hmm. um, And that's both um, urological um, and fecal as well. So um, at King Eddie, I've done some um, pessary insertions. So um, I don't know if that's something that we might branch into once I get a little bit more experience. Definitely. But yeah, I mean, it, anything that you can think of to do with bladder and bowel, I suppose. Um, definitely. So it's, you know, uh, even post prostatectomy or post um, urology surgery, um, quite often patients have problems with frequency um, and an urge, an urge incontinence. And, you know, Joe does a great job teaching them the, the pelvic floor exercises and, and, you know, the techniques to try and defer and hang on a little bit longer, etc. cetera. Um, but I can do the medical side of things, prescribe medications to help settle the bladder down, etc. So, you know, it's very much a team effort. Yeah. What were you going to say then, Joe? Yes. You can ask and- something. Yeah, because we're all on Zoom at the moment because in Perth, Western Australia, we are in COVID lockdown. So we are operating out of three different locations just for those who are listening. And uh, I would just wanted to share the fact that quite a few patients are always completely scared about getting their prostate surgical post-op review with you because it means the catheter is coming out although they don't really like having the catheter they're always worried that it's going to hurt so can you just talk us through how you do that for the after the say seven to ten days of catheterization yeah um, well, when you put it in yeah well normally um you know I've, I've already built up a bit of a relationship with them and you know um having a bit of a chat with them normally a bit of a, a laugh and a joke just to kind of try and let, get them to relax a little bit. Um, and, you know, I'm talking to them, telling them what I'm doing. Um, and then, um, you know, I just say to them, like, you know, take a big deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And by the time they've actually done that, the caster's removed and it's gone. <laughs> ah, you're so, so <laughs> you're, you know, that they're like, what do you mean it's gone? Is that it? And it's like, well, yeah. So the unfortunate thing is, um, I hear quite regularly that, um, you know, patients have talked to mates or heard from other people. Oh, God, yeah, it's the most horrible thing getting your caster removed. Yeah, you know? yeah, all of that all the time. Absolutely. Be prepared for nails in the ceiling type thing. And, you know, sometimes they're pleasantly, well, they're ple- pleasantly um, surprised, but they're almost seem like they're a little bit disappointed <laughs> that it was so easy. <laughs> And and you physically have to um, release air or pressure from uh, the valve or cuff that's placed inside their bladder. So that the mechanics of it are that you're decompressing air so yeah. that it can easily slide out. Is that right? Yeah. So um, on the catheters, obviously the bit that goes inside them, and then there's a little kind of almost like a little fork in it, and there's a valve on the end of that. Um, and when the catheter is inserted, what they actually do is they insert some fluid into a balloon that inflates in their bladder, and that's actually what holds the catheter in their bladder. So in order for the, the catheter to be removed, you, you just really attach a syringe to that valve, 
um, and the, you know the water just comes straight out on its own normally. Um, so they don't. Some people actually feel that. Um, I've had a few patients who've kind of felt like a little pop as the, the balloon's gone down, and it's not like the, the balloon has burst. They've just obviously felt um, that sort of decompression, um, but generally they don't feel it, and it's halfway out before they've even realised. When I was working in an emergency department many years ago, I had a guy who um, didn't want, he was a bit inebriated at the time and he had a catheter in and he didn't want the nurse to take it out and he didn't let her explain to him that there was a ball in there. So he just said, I'm doing it myself. And before she could say no, he pulled it out and it had the balloon still full of water Mm. you can only imagine what happened to his penis it ended up looking like a sex assault shaker instead of a penis it was very Mm. enlarged so for anyone listening do not think that you're going to remove your catheter yourself it's a bad idea anyway joe oh yeah (laughs) i was going to say exactly the same have you ever had someone who's um decided to yank it out themselves oh i mean not um in urology but you know when I was a student nurse I did um, some caring shifts in a nursing home so you know um, elderly demented men were quite frequently oh what's this thing in, in here oh yeah mm. no I don't like this and just rip it out and the next thing you know it looks like you know there's a blood bath in the, in the bathroom and they're like where's all this blood come from yep spent it a doesn't lot of seem time to squeezing that man's penis to stop it from bleeding that night absolutely yeah definitely um but yeah most people don't pull their catheter out balloon inflated mm. <laughs> i always tell them not to do that can i just ask why we're talking about um catheters and bleeding i do get a number of patients come to see me who present after radiation pee and so they often have developed strictures and they're Mm -hmm. um, urinating a little bit of blood or they're getting blood clots and that's when I find you are so imperative to their care so not not those guys that go into retention but the the radiation patients do you see many of those um obviously not so much now that I'm doing more women's but yeah um it was it was quite common to have patients who um you know mainly with radiation cystitis um you know having passing blood clots um etc and you know it's re- it's really scary for them you know they just they go for a wee starts off a little bit of blood and then the next thing they've passed this to them it looks like a huge clot um but to nurses you go nah it's just a tiny one um but you yeah. know, they're not used to that and it's it must be really frightening you know seeing all this blood appearing so it's mm. generally, you know, we get them to make sure that they're drinking plenty. Um, but if it's not settling down and it's really fresh, then they really need to see a urologist and be admitted to hospital for um, a bladder washout until things settle down. Mm-hmm. And the bladder wash- washout, what does that consist of? So they end up with a catheter, quite a big catheter that's got three three way in um, sort of so you've got the valve, you've got the um, end of the catheter where the bag would go on, but it's also got an extra piece that um, is put in with, they've normally got two two-litre bags of saline that's continually draining into their bladder, washing their bladder out and then coming out through the catheter. Um, and, and, and you know, it's, it's not comfortable for them. As I said, it's a, a bigger catheter. Um, and... Mm. 
they're basically bed bound while that's going on. Um, they're really not going anywhere. Um, but and no, it's okay. given the radiation effects can be ongoing. Sorry to interrupt you there. Is it sort of routine care that you might teach someone how to self catheterize? Um, should these clots keep on forming? It's not something that I've seen that we've seen a lot at St John's, but what we do have said, uh, and I have seen is um, a lot of men who, like you said, have got strictures forming um, because yeah. of radiation. Um, and in that case, uh, normally what happens there, either their urethra is either dilated by the doctors in their rooms um, mm -hmm. or they unfortunately have to go to theatre to have their um, urethras dilated, um, just where that stricture is. And then I will teach them how to pass a catheter um, on a daily basis just to keep that stricture open. Um, we've got, you know, generally it's like every day for two weeks, every second day for two weeks and, and so on. But there is one urologist who actually, his regime is every day for six weeks, every second day for six, right. six weeks. So, you know, it's quite an involved process for them keeping that stricture open. Um, mm. So, but, you know, there are some schools of thought that that self-dilatation doesn't really work that well. Um, but it's just what, you know, what we do generally um, to stop them having to come into hospital and have that stricture dilated surgically. Mm. And is there much of an infection risk with them self-catheterising? I mean, obviously there is a risk um, because it's an invasive procedure, but it is actually less than them having an indwelling catheter. Um, right. It's not yeah. a it's it's not a, a sterile um, procedure. It, it can't be. It's a clean technique, um, right. and we we teach them how to how to do um, how to look after the catheter and use it once, um, and really just about you know handling it as as little as possible so that they're not introducing infection. Excellent. So I've got a list here in front of me, Sharon, of all the amazing things you do. So I'm just going to read them and then see if you mm. can tell me if we can add anything else on. So you do penile rehab and prehab for patients who are just about to or have had prostate cancer treatment. You do clinical consultancy in continent, bladder and bowel dysfunction, um, and you do general urology to a variety of specialties, including urinary retention, constipation, urinary and fecal incontinence. As you've said, you teach self-catheterization and dilatation. You change catheters. You also do suprapubic catheters, for which for anyone who doesn't know, that's the catheter that comes straight out of your bladder and into your belly instead of out of your urethra. You do pre- and post-operative bladder assessments and measurements with an ultrasound, and you do counselling and education and you assess clients and recommend and prescribe continence aids to those who are eligible for the government subsidy. Have yeah. I missed anything on that list? Mm, no, I think you've got probably got it. I've just thought of something I have missed. So now what? that you're becoming more and more experienced in women's health, I'm thinking that all the penises that we see on the penis project and on restorative sexual health a lot of them will have a vagina who is their friend and vaginas yes. need help. So we don't yes. at restorative sexual health just look after penises. We also look after vaginas. So if you've got a problem, I actually treated a woman last week with a vagina issue 
that um, I got some advice from Sharon and I followed up with her today and she's very happy with her vagina this week. She's It's her friend again, she said. <laughs> so for any wives or partners listening that are vagina owners or vulva owners, then we can also help you with those as well. What about yes. Joe? You look like you're about to say something. I think Joe does. Do you do ladies' continence as well, Joe, or are you just into men? Uh, I have uh, a, a number of um, female patients across the age band, always looking after them, but I'm not a um, qualified women's health physiotherapist with postgraduate women's health training. So um, I, I get referrals from a number of uh, doctors, GPs for the more basic problems. And if I have anything more um, complex, I'll tend to work with my colleagues in my clinic uh, mm-hmm. and that, that sort of satisfies everyone, I think. Cool. Yeah. But I was going to add to Sharon's list of growing um, specialisations is her education and awareness. So you're now doing presentations to the Prostate Cancer Foundation. And last week we did a one-hour um, recorded webinar to the Consonance Foundation of Australia in Consonance, uh, World Consonance Week. How are you enjoying all the um, public speaking and opportunities to do more education um loving the education side of it the public speaking maybe not quite as much <laughs> um um and probably less so when it's on camera because i do not like seeing myself um but you know the the couple of talks that i've done at the prostate cancer um support groups i've really really enjoyed um it's great to see the guys come out the other side um and see how well they actually support one another um, mm. And it's it's just it's really good because, you know, you can go in there and it, it's it's been more like, you know, I did one where I did a PowerPoint presentation and then I did another one where it was just like an informal chat. Um, yeah. And both, both were as good as one another. And I really, really enjoyed them. Um, and it was quite funny because the one that I did, the first one that I did was the, the PowerPoint presentation. And I walked in and I thought, oh these are all my patients. So they'd all been my patients from St. John's. So um, yeah, no, it was, it was good to see them um, and good to see them supporting men who are just newly diagnosed. So yeah, no, it's, it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. And I think your wealth of experience makes it completely comfortable for everyone. And, you know, it's just like us, we just, happy to have a conversation so I found it really beneficial to have you part of Melissa's new team as well so thank you so much Sharon for coming today and chatting to us and um, hopefully next time the three of us are together we're in the same room if anybody would like to book an appointment with Sharon then you just have to email admin at rshealth.com.au and we'll put that link in the show notes and we'll put a little bit about her bio in there so that you know what she can do but you could always just send her an email as well and ask her if she can help you out and um, if anyone wants her to do some public speaking she's also available for that now that she loves it so much as long as she doesn't have to look at herself in the camera (laughs) thank you (laughs) thanks heaps for joining us today it's been great no worries thanks for um, having me as part of the team I love it Tell you about a boy who lives inside me. He's been there all of my life. Hi, 
This is Dr. Joy. Thank you so much for listening to our program today. And we're pleased to let you know that we will be having weekly podcasts, not fortnightly, as originally proposed. And this is because of the popularity of our podcast. We're getting so many emails, so many questions, and so much feedback, and Melissa and I greatly appreciate it. What we'd really love you to do is share our podcast with anyone you think might benefit, including any man in your life. Simply download off Spotify or subscribe to thepenisproject.org and then you'll get a weekly email about newest releases. Also feel free to send us a review and this will greatly help in our ongoing ability to bring you and fresh information as that's where we build what comes next. We also have show notes attached and this gives a bit of a background into any additional resources or explanations of what we're talking about. Finally, it's my great pleasure to let you know that PROST, the exercise program which sponsors our podcast, is now available on a USB resource for any man diagnosed with prostate cancer, an exercise program. Clinicians can buy these as well as the everyday bloke. So feel free to check out prost.com.au. Meanwhile, let's keep the conversation going. Those dread dark days I learned to value each and every one Of those warm afternoons Boys on their bikes Shooting stones at each other through the trees We tried to deny the going down of the sun